right, so um, again, I'm just, just reflecting on how God has uniquely um, positioned our church in, with the series. Um, I'm always sharing how these series are not just planned based on you know, something that I like or a subject matter. I spent um, last December um, praying through and, and talking with different leaders in the, in the church and what we're sensing, and then God gives these, and somehow they fall in place. Um, like today's sermon fell in place of Pentecost. The series fell in place. Um, wasn't handpicked to say, let's just put this right here, which means that God has us on a journey. We are grateful for that. So we started this series last week, um, Shaped for Significance. And um, so this is week two, and the whole point of this series um, is looking at how the Apostle Paul describes um, the kind of leaders that God has provided for his church for us to attain maturity. We talk about the fact that God has uniquely given each and every one of us a gift, and the gift is for all of us to partner um, so that we're all matured in the faith. That's the whole point of it. And um, so what I want us to grab hold of in this season for this series um, is, are, are the lessons of how the early church began. Um, on the Christian calendar, we celebrate Christmas and Easter. Um, just imagine having a Christmas without caroling. Like, there's no way. Or an Easter celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And the same is um, true for Pentecost. We rarely place or give the same energy um, as it regards to Pentecost. Um, we have reduced the significance of Pentecost to speaking in tongues and non-salvation debates like, is speaking in tongues necessary for today? So we do things like that. But I'm going to show you um, today that Pentecost was designed uh, for the salvation of souls. The miracle of Pentecost was um, simply the source or the empowerment that enabled the salvation of souls. And I want to read um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I'll read for us today, um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation, under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. 
Um, the title I gave um, this particular teaching is The New Pentecost, and you'll see why in a moment. But I also wanted to just look briefly at verse 11. I've mentioned before about the salvation of souls. If you notice in there, it says that, that they heard people speaking in tongues, but they were speaking in tongues, telling the mighty works of God. So there was something powerful happening within the tongues that they were speaking. Now you might wonder, why Pentecost? Why did God choose the Feast of Pentecost as the day in which he would pour out his spirit um, the way he did? Well, throughout the Bible, God has been using these larger events to advance his plan. God has been unveiling his plans for the world in chronological order through the ancient Jewish feast. If you look throughout the Bible, all the major feasts that you'll see is connected to a plan that God has. All the feasts you see from um, Genesis to Revelation, they're connected to something that God wanted us to see. Um, for example, Jesus was crucified on the feast of Passover. And we know Passover feast. This is the feast when the lambs were offered as an atoning sacrifice at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And we went through a sermon in, in talking about how as the lambs were being slain just a few feet away, a few hundred feet, feet away, that Jesus was being sacrificed on the, on the lamb, the, the lamb of the Passover. So we see this. So Jesus dies and he rose from the dead on another feast, the feast of first fruits. Um, this was when the Jews would present the first of their harvest um, in the temple of the Lord to, as, a, as a way of thanksgiving unto the Lord. So Jesus rises on the Feast of First Fruits to suggest that he is the first of many to follow. Um, first of many to follow, meaning when he rose from the dead, he rose with a glorified body. Now, one day we will die. It's just the cycle of life. But in his return, we will have this glorified body. So Jesus has shown that, you know, the same way he has this glorified body, he's the first of many because when we all die and, we, and he comes back to redeem the church, we will also have a glorified body. So he's shown them this, that he is the first fruit of many to come. So, his, so he dies on Passover, he rises on the first fruit, and the next feast on the Jewish calendar is the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. Um, we, we say in English, Pentecost, but, but it comes from this Greek word meaning 50th. So Pentecost means 50th. The very next feast on the Jewish calendar after the resurrection of Christ is this Feast of Pentecost. That's the day that God determined in which he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And so here we are, Pentecost um, Sunday. The Feast of Weeks, because this was the feast, seven weeks following the previous feast, and this additional day, 50th day that we have. So there are two reasons that the Jews celebrated Pentecost. The first is that is to commemorate the giving of the law that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai. Um, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai by God. But if you're familiar with this story, the giving of the Ten Commandments included a very tragic event at the base of Mount Sinai. In the story, Moses is on Mount Sinai. 
God is giving him these Ten Commandments, and we read in Scripture that there is this sound, a commotion that's happening at the base. And Moses is wondering, what is happening down there? Because he left his brother Aaron to, you know, to be in charge of things until he returns. You know, when you guys were younger, you guys remember your parents would leave, or maybe someone would leave and say, take care of your siblings or your cousins? Anyone ever do babysitting before? Yeah. And whoever asks you to babysit, they're expecting that when, when, you know, when they come back, everything is going to be just as they left it, or even better. But that's not what happened with Moses. Moses heard the commotion, and when he went back, the Bible says that Moses took so long on Mount Sinai, the people became restless. Um, they're wondering, is Moses coming back? Why is he taking so long? So they decided to engage in idolatry, and they started worshiping these golden calves. So they threw all their gold jewelry together in this big cauldron, and, and Aaron, he stirs it up to make these um, golden calves serving as priests. When Moses comes back, and confronts his brother Aaron, Aaron's like, well, I don't really know what happened. The people, this is the conversation is happening. He's like, it's really the people because they thought you were coming back so they wanted to worship you know, something. It's within us. We always want to worship something. And so, in short, Moses said to the crowd, if you're serious about God, I want you to partner with me. I want you to come on my side. It's what he says when he confronts the people. He sees them all, you know, worshiping these golden calves. And when he says this, the tribe of Levi stepped forward and said, we will partner with you. So they stepped forward. Uh, they didn't know what Moses was going to ask them to do. But nonetheless, they're like, we're going to do it. And Levi, of course, worship, praise, this is where they're coming from. Moses gave Levi, this instruction as part of God's judgment regarding the idolatry that happened. Here's what we find in Exodus 32, verse 27. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. This is what Moses told, you know, this tribe, this group that says, I'm going to partner with you. That was the instruction. Now look at verse 28. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. So the first day of this giving of the law, Moses confronts the people and tell, um, tells the, the Levites who rallied with him, take this sword, strap it on your hip, and I want you to go through each gate and kill these people. In other words, they're going to exercise God's judgment for this worship of idolatry. Now, we see that the 3,000 people died, and I want you to keep that number in mind. Hold on to that number, that 3,000, as we go back to our story in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. Now, I mentioned before that this is not a celebration. They are commemorating. So the day of Pentecost, the same day, they're commemorating 
the giving of the law when Moses received the Ten Commandments, and they're remembering all these people that died, all these 3,000 people that died on this day when Moses um, brought the law. Look at what happened when Peter begins to preach, Acts 2, verses 38 to 40. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, if you notice the parallel in Exodus, Moses' first Pentecost, the first time that the law was given by God, he says, separate yourself from the crowd. He saw the worshipment in idolatry. He says, separate from the crowd. And we see that these people came forward. The Levites came forward. The Levites rallied. But 3,000 people died that day. Now look at what happens in verse 40 to 41 of Acts chapter 2. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about how many? 3,000 souls. See, on this Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. The old Pentecost was the giving of the law. The new Pentecost is the giving of God's Spirit. See, in the old Pentecost, 3,000 people died because of their worship and idolatry. But here we're seeing in this new Pentecost, in Acts 2, 3,000 people got saved and lived. We're seeing this reversal of what took place in the Old Testament. The same way we see this reversal with speaking in tongues in, in the Old Testament with the Tower of Babel, it separated people. But here in Acts chapter 2, we're seeing now it's gathering people. So in the Old Testament, people are separated on this first day of Pentecost. In the new Pentecost, we're seeing this gathering where now those who ask for forgiveness are received by Christ. 3,000 people died in the Old Testament because of their sin. 3,000 people in the New Testament are joined to Christ, receiving forgiveness of sin. Why is it that the law led to death? Simple. The law was never intended to save us. That wasn't the purpose of the law. It was intended to expose your sinful condition so that you would see your need for a Savior. So the law exposes the sickness of the human heart. In other words, it's okay to live by this moral code. That's what the law was saying. But by living by this moral code, it doesn't offer salvation. Many of these guys would probably think that they're doing good deeds. But when God showed up and saw, when God you know, saw that they were worshiping in idolatry, he said to Moses, I want you to exercise my judgment on them. But here we have in the New Testament, God was showing us that it is not the moral code that was going to give you salvation. It's going to be the forgiveness of sin that will allow you to receive forgiveness. And so salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ 
and it's initiated by the Spirit of God. So when we accept Jesus as Lord of our lives, that's when we really have life. The Spirit of God bears witness with our hearts that we need Jesus, and then we make that decision to turn from sin. We repent. So as we talk about this is that when you as a believer, you're sharing the gospel to another, to an unbeliever, it is your spirit, the spirit of God that's in you, that nudges that person's heart, and then the spirit of God draws them. When they accept Christ in their heart, now they receive the spirit of God. But it's the spirit of God that draws us. So it doesn't matter how much someone says, oh, I'm a good person, that's not how you're saved. You have to make that decision. Any of you guys were forced to accept Christ? And anyone of you was forced to say, serve Christ now or else? We weren't. You know, you know I, was, I was sharing with the guys how, you know, I was living in Boston. I was two, and my brother, I still remember him, he's still a pastor, and they drove me from Boston to New Jersey. Not sure why they drove so far, but I went to New Jersey, and they had me play in the pool all day, just playing around the pool, and I'm loving the water. And then that night, they baptized me. But I remember crying, though, crying when they were doing this. But at that point, I don't remember having the capacity to make that decision to serve Jesus. So I remember when I was about eight or nine that I made that decision like, I really want to baptize. I know what it is to serve Jesus. And at that point, made a decision and got baptized. But it is the Spirit of God that draws us. You know, it's not, you know, you know, my brother doing a good deed or because they're saved and saying, we're Christians, that you're a Christian. No, I had to make that decision for me. And it's at that point that I felt like I'm a Christian. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I offer you abundant life. That's good. But then in John 3, 16, he says, I offer you eternal life. So it's not good enough to just have this abundant life to live on earth and because of our good deeds. He's saying, I want you to, to experience eternal life. So he offers this forgiveness. Life is found in the spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, not by the moral code of the law. God says, I choose Pentecost because I want people to understand the law kills, but my spirit gives life. The second reason the Jews chose Pentecost is to celebrate the end of the wheat harvest by offering two loaves of wheat bread made with yeast. I told you it's a lot of feasts that takes place in the Bible, and we sometimes miss them. We're like, why are they talking about all this food stuff? See, they offered two loaves of wheat bread at the temples. That's what happened. In Leviticus 23, 16 to 17, it says, You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Now, this is the only feast where they were required to bring yeast as part of the offering. 
Now, why is this significant? Well, yeast in the Bible is always a picture of sin. When you see it in scriptures, we see yeast is talking about sin. If you know anything about baking, like I know any bakers in the house? I know Casey bakes a lot. Any bakers? Any? Um, so one of my favorite um, things I like to eat, in case you ever feel ambitious to bake, I love banana nut bread, but I like when the nuts are, you know, I don't like tasting the nuts. So you blend it, and it's pure. So if you ever get in the mood to bake, I'm all there, yep. Banana nut, without the nut. But if you know how yeast works, yeast works through dough and it expands. Am I right, Casey? When you have yeast, it expands, yes. She gave the nod of approval. When we ignore sin in our lives, it expands and it blocks it blocks us from fulfilling what God desires to do in our life. Sometimes one sin leads to another, just like one lie leads to another lie. You know, it expands. So yeast is a picture of sin. On Passover, they were to get rid of all the yeast in their house because Passover was a sacred time when the sacrifice was made for the sins of the people. So when the priest is offering these slaughtered lambs on behalf of the people, simultaneously they had to remove yeast from their homes. So no yeast, you're not baking at all. But if you notice what was said in the Old Testament, you know, just imagine, you know, what it, it says that they brought this yeast, you know, with this load from their home, and they would wave it as a sign of offering. So you just go to a bakery, go to Safeway, grab two wheat bread, and say, I want the wheat bread unsliced so I can go to church and wave it. I mean, just imagine what they would think of, of you, right? You're going to be waving bread in church. All of us just get, you know, two bread, two loaves, and we wave it. That's what they were doing, right? So Jesus, the spotless lamb, he dies on the cross with no sin. So he's taking on the sin. He dies, take on our sin. But in this feast, this feast of Pentecost, when the yeast are offered, God says, I want you to include yeast in this offering. So they would bake these two loaves, and then they would take it to the temple. They'd wave the, the loaves, honoring God. And on Pentecost, God says, I'm going to accept yeast. Why? When you get to Pentecost in Acts 2, there's also this great harvest. We read it earlier. What's the number I told you to remember? 3,000. Thank you. 3,000 souls got saved. Their lives had been marked by sin, marked by yeast. Sin had been expanding in their lives, and yet God says, I'm accepting this. See, in, in the Old Testament, they brought the, the bread and they're waving it. God, God says, this is a way of honoring me. And now he's saying, all the people, all the, the ones with sin in their lives, 
come to me because I'm going to accept you. The only feast where God accepts yeast, here's, it's applicable to us now. He's saying, I'm going to accept you with all the sin in your life. As your sin is expanding, it doesn't matter how much sin is in your life, as it's getting worse and worse, God says, now come to me. That's what he said. Mark, Matthew 9, 37 to 38 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the world is like this harvest field, and the world needs Jesus. So Jesus is saying to us, I want you to pray that everyday Christian, you and me, people who love Jesus, would have the desire to go into the field and lead people to Christ. And when we go and we share this gospel, now they can come, we can have this great harvest, which is what took place on Pentecost. On this day, this Pentecost day in Acts 2, God accepted yeast. The sinners who repented, they came to Jesus through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. They became this offering unto the Lord on the day of Pentecost. So it was not only a statement that the law leads to death and the Spirit gives life, it was also a statement that there is this great harvest of souls who have been infected with sin, but God says, I'm going to accept them and receive them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So although we're, we often focus on, on Pentecost being this, the miracle of the tongues, God is saying it's, it's greater than that. We need Pentecost because it's on that day we're seeing that people who have sin in their lives are being received into the kingdom. They're saved by grace. But let's look at some of the things that took place at Pentecost. We see that there was this sound. Um, the apostles were gathered in the upper room. And, of course, it wasn't just them. It was the apostles. And, of course, it's a total of 120 people. We also know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in the upper room. And it's actually the last reference to her in all of scriptures. Um, so Luke was intentional to let us know that at least in, um, his mother was also among the 120. Now, Acts 2 and verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. In the Bible, the wind often symbolizes the presence of God. We see this illustrated uh, with Ezekiel's vision of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. Remember the story. The presence of God represented by the wind breathed life into these dry bones, and then these dry bones came together and just walked away, right? So the sound of a mighty rushing wind, it filled the room where the disciples were gathered. So it was evidence that God was at work. And there's also something that they saw, sight. They saw something simultaneously as they're hearing something. Verse 3 says, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to each, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So as you can see, we talk about in this series about how we all have different spiritual gifts. We're seeing from the beginning that the Spirit of God went on each individual to let us know there's something special about us. All 120 received this Holy Spirit. 
Like wind, fire is often a symbol of God's presence. Um, some quick facts about fire. Fire cleanses. In Isaiah 6, the prophet said in verse 5, Isaiah 6, 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then after he said this, one of the angelic beings took a burning coal from the altar of God and touched his lips. He said in verse 70, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. So fire cleanses. The Holy Spirit is like a fire that cleanses our hearts of the sinful desires of, of the world. Fire also consumes. The Holy Spirit will burn up our pride and selfish desires in our lives when we allow him to have first place. Fire also creates more fire. This fervor for Jesus is contagious. It spreads through all of us. We also see there's the speech in verses 4 through 13, along with the miracle of sound and sight. There's the miracle of speech in verse 4. It tells us that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this is where you often find people debating about speaking in tongues. Some believe that speaking in tongues is evidence that one has been baptized in the Spirit. And some say speaking in tongues is a prayer language to signify one's closeness to God. And some believe that every Christian should seek to speak in tongues as part of the Christian experience in their own life. Um, speaking in tongues is a gift that God has made available to every believer. And we see in, in this text how as they were speaking in tongues, they didn't understand what they were saying, but the people that were there understood. So yes, we see how Paul talks about having an interpreter. And of course, if I start speaking in tongues and you have no clue what I'm saying, you're like, what's the chaos? So we talk about having interpretation. But we see in the, on the day of Pentecost when they were speaking, the interpreters were the ones who were hearing it because those guys have never experienced tongues before. But throughout Scripture, we see how God also gave the interpretation of tongues so that we don't have chaos in the church. But let's not you know, minimize the fact that God gives us speaking in tongues as a gift for, for available to each believer. But let me also say that the miracle of Pentecost was not the tongues, but the power of God that transformed the lives of the disciples to become bold witnesses for Jesus. If you remember, when Jesus was crucified, these disciples were locked in a room because they were afraid that they would come and arrest them and crucify them just like Jesus. So they were locked away to the point that Jesus walked through the doors. That's what we see in Scripture. He just appeared out of nowhere because these guys were afraid. So they were locked in a room. So we're seeing here how the Spirit of God gave them boldness, which is what allowed Peter to now preach boldly in the same city that Jesus was crucified only 53 days prior. I mean, that had to be some boldness. But not just him. 120 people are coming out of the room saying, I feel empowered to share the gospel regardless of the what you will do to me. That's what the Spirit of God will do. It creates this boldness inside of us. Now, according to Acts 2 and verse 4, the most important aspect of this 
Pentecost was the Spirit of God coming upon us. Now, I know we said, you know, we solely focused on the apostles because they were, of course, the leaders. But everyone that, were, that was there received the same empowerment. Everyone received the same empowerment. Now, I was just thinking about, you know, with shelter in place. Remember how we were all locked away for a long time. I wonder what would happen on a day like this if we had to lock the doors and just stay here until. Because that's what happened to these guys. Jesus said, go to the upper room and wait. I mean, imagine introverts and extroverts in the same room were just waiting. Introverts are trying to find a corner, trying to get away from people. Extroverts trying to play, I don't know, card games or do something fun. I mean, who would be the chef? Who's going to cook all the food? I mean, we got to just wait, right? We didn't see any of this thing happening. I mean, just think about the obedience to go into a room and just wait, not knowing what's going to happen. We have the benefit of reading scriptures to see that they only stayed 10 days. But Jesus didn't give them any indication. If you actually, if you read in Acts 1, it says, don't worry about what I'm going to come or anything like that. Don't worry about that. Just go there and wait. And they went. Similar for us today, Pentecost marks the coming of the Spirit to empower the church to carry out the Great Commission. There's a Great Commission that we have. There's this mission there. What does the Holy Spirit enable us to do today? I'll give you a few things. I mentioned some of them earlier. To speak courageously, Acts 4, verses 8 to 12. To speak about Jesus openly, Acts 2, verses 22 to 24. To make wise decisions, Acts 6 and verse 3. And you know we need the Holy Spirit to make some decisions in our lives. To face life's challenges confidently, Acts 2, verses 34 to 35. Also to look to God's word, Acts 2, verses 16 to 21. And I like this one, answer God's call, in Acts 2, verses 38 to 41. See, we've mistakenly believed the observance of Pentecost is reserved for those we call Pentecostals. We even, label, we even give them some labels. We say they are charismatic. We often disapprove of their worship styles. But the history of the Christian church dates back to more than 2,000 years. See, the Pentecostal movement only emerged with the Azusa Street Revival in 1906. Pentecost is a gift that God gave to the body of Christ. That's our gift. But then we turn around and we create tension about whether it's necessary to still speak in tongues or when and where it's appropriate to speak in tongues. But don't miss the power that lives inside of us. The Spirit of God who empowered Christ's earthly ministry dwells in those who have surrendered their lives in Christ. Think about that. 
the ministry that Christ had on earth, his earthly ministry, that same spirit lives in each and every one of us as we surrender our lives to Christ. So we have no excuse to say, I can't do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because Christ lives inside of us. We're empowered for service. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you and his mission is still the same. We are empowered to take the gospel to the nations as witnesses for Christ. Another way to say it is that the focus of Pentecost is the gift of the Holy Spirit, but the result of Pentecost is sharing the gospel. These guys who were timid didn't believe they had what, what it takes to even be outside. They're hiding. But the result of Pentecost, on that day when the Spirit of God empowered them, they left that room and started to preach the gospel. Now, we do see Peter preaching this sermon to the crowd, but don't miss what happened before that. It says that these guys from all the regions heard people speaking in their language the mighty works of God. That took place before Peter even preached a sermon. Let's just know that 120 ordinary people felt empowered by God to leave where they were to now proclaim the mighty works of God. We have the same Spirit of God inside of, inside of us. Amen? So everything that you need, everything that you need to share the gospel, you have. You have the Spirit of God. You don't have to go to seminary to share the gospel. You don't have to spend your life trying to study all these books and learn more about the Scripture. See, we have access to the Word of God now. Back then, they didn't have the New Testament. What they had was a promise, and they went to the upper room to see whether or not Christ would fulfill that promise, and Christ did. And so what they were doing, they were proclaiming the mighty works of God. But here we are having access to the Bible, and we're saying, well, maybe I need to read some more, or maybe I have to study some more. But back then, all they wanted to know is that the Spirit of God is inside of me, because we have that Spirit now, I feel empowered to talk about the mighty works of God. They didn't say, let me share Genesis or Exodus or Romans or John. They just said, look, let me just tell you how good God is. Let me let you know that sin was expanding in my life, but because of Jesus, I have forgiveness. That's what you need to know. That's what Pentecost means for us, and less about the other things. Pentecost is about the empowerment that we receive as believers. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. The people that we encounter outside the church, they're looking for a solution. We know where to find it. In Jesus, in the church. We can invite those who are lost, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, to find refuge here. They can find Jesus right here. They can find forgiveness of sins right here. See, the church, the body of Christ, we're formed with this gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive the promise. The church is the place where miracles can take place. You and I, we are the church, not the building. When someone needs hope, yes, we can always point them to a building, 
show up and we have other believers. But don't forget that you have been empowered by the Spirit of God to offer hope to those who need hope. When someone needs a kind word, you have been empowered to offer a kind word. When someone is facing difficulty in their lives, you have been empowered to pray for them, to offer them the hope that is found in Jesus. No. There won't be any violent wind or fire today. I checked the forecast like two days ago. But I do believe that if we exercise the Spirit of God like we should, we can see the fire of God moving in the church. You believe that? You're like, maybe yes. Your life can spark that fire. We always sing that song, set a fire in my soul. Can't contain. That's what took place in Pentecost. 120 people are in a room. They're there. And all of a sudden, this uncontrollable spirit came on them, and they couldn't contain it. And because of that, 3,000 people received forgiveness of sin. Jesus wants to do the same thing through your life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and I don't see here that doesn't know Jesus on this side, but if you're watching and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I do want you to know that Christ is available, available for us. And for all of us that were here, Pentecost wasn't just a Bible story. The reason why we're Christians is because we receive the Spirit of God. We receive the Spirit of God because we ask for forgiveness of sin, and the Spirit of God took residence immediately. And now we are empowered to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the one who doesn't have a relationship with you. That first, God, you allowed him to know that you send your son to die on the cross so that we can experience forgiveness of sin. And we're reminded of Pentecost. We're seeing the miracle that took place. 3,000 people got saved to show as a blueprint that as we all receive your spirit, God, we can share your good news to someone else who doesn't know you and accept, and they can accept you in their hearts for the forgiveness of sin. Pray, God, for all of us here that we continue to trust you and serve you and to speak boldly your word, boldly speaking the mighty works that you've done in and through our lives. Help us to realize, God, that you've called each and every one of us individually to build the body of Christ. So help us to do this boldly. Help us to understand our role. We just love you, God, and we give you praise for all that you will do in and through our lives moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen.